go. There we go. Oh, man, if y'all could get all that together one day, it's going to sound fantastic. <laughs> but, uh, okay, I got you. Well, praise the Lord. Uh, thank you all for being here this morning. Uh, folks online again, thank you all for joining us. If you would, go ahead and turn to Psalm 119, verse 89. Uh, and we're going to start off <clears throat> there. Um, this will be the last part um, of the Back to the Basics. And I think what I'm going to do is, since we've covered a lot in this basics stuff, what I need to do is I need to go back and pull out certain ones and kind of put it together as, as one little section um, because <clears throat> there is a lot. I forget what number it is that we're on total, um, but there's a lot of information, but it's all basic, right? Um, we've talked about the gospel. Uh, we've talked about our identification in Christ. We've talked about the dispensational aspects. We've talked about how that new life is designed to be put on display, uh, not just in our lives, but in the local assembly and, and, and talking about all that stuff. And really, the main thing that we want to be able to, to get is um, the Bible, right? Um, the Bible issue. There's, there's a lot of talk out there about the Bible issue. And what we want to do is make sure that as a group, um, we, um, we know uh, that we have God's Word, and not just that we have it, but why do we have it? Why, why do we know that? Why are we confident of that? And so that's one of those things that we want to be able to look at um, to be able to go through here. So let's start off Psalm 119, verse 89. It says, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Thy faithfulness is unto all generations. Thou hast established the earth, and it abideth. They continue this day according to thine ordinances, for all are thy servants. Unless thy law had been my delights, I should, have, uh, I, I should then have perished in mine affliction. I will never forget thy precepts, for with them thou hast quickened me. I am thine, save me, for I have sought thy precepts. The wicked have waited for me to destroy me, but I will consider thy testimonies. I have seen an end of all the perfection, but thy commandment is exceeding broad. Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to study your word, that it's been um, preserved throughout the years and ages that we can have it, we can handle it, we can study it, and uh, we can allow it to be the final authority in all things. And we have confidence in it because um, of what you tell us about it. And we're thankful for this day. We're thankful for your word. And we thank you most of all for Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Um, get this in case we need it. <clears throat> all right. Um, what do we notice there in Psalm 119, verse 89? God's word is settled in heaven. God's word is settled in heaven. How long? Forever. How long is forever? It keeps going. Forever, right? <laughs> Now, the funny thing is, we laugh at that, but there's actually people now that are saying forever doesn't mean forever. You stop me and think about that, and you're like, okay, that's a, that's a head scratcher. Uh, because that's what it means. It means forever. Uh, and to say that it's not forever, that, that, that puts a question mark on everything. Now, one of the things we're going to talk about as we go through here, what is it 
what is it that starts off what it well let's put it this way what is it that allows all the other things that we see you know Bruce a lot of times he'll bring up uh, a verse and he'll read the verse on the verses of the week and then he'll read one from another version and things why do those other versions exist right that's what we want to look at and it's not because it's easier to read um, if you look at if you look at the modern version Bibles and there's a way to actually tell what level you would have to be able to to know to be able to understand that Bible uh, your King James Bible is written on a fourth fifth grade level modern versions are about 10 11 or so something like that so that's the the idea that it's easier to read that's a misnomer right and what it is is it's a way to divert the the real the real issue to something else right <clears throat> now one of the things uh, Delilah and I were talking about this last night she was like um, she had mentioned about when when she's going over the verses with with the kids in the Sunday school um, words like desireth she's like um, could I as I as I talk to him about it, can I talk about you know desire and things like that instead of desireth? And I said, well, one of the things we don't want to do is change it. Second of all, as young as those children are, they need to hear those words so that when they get older, it's not foreign to them. Um, I was I was talking to some kids a few weeks ago in school, and they're reading some um, uh, Shakespeare, and they're like, none of this makes sense. And I was like, well. Had you all actually not gotten rid of the King James Bible in your church, you'd probably know a little bit more about how those words work. And so then when you read Shakespeare, it's not as foreign. Um, but you take all that stuff away. And the interesting thing is, very seldom do you find people taking Shakespeare and saying, let's rewrite it in modern English so it'll be easier to understand. This is, a, this is an attack on God's book, right? And it's one of those things, when we look at this, it says, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. The issue that, that I want to point out over and over again is word or words, all right? Because that's going to be the issue. And we'll see, this, we'll see this as we go through. So one of the things I want to think about real quick, um, go, over to second, go over to Second Timothy chapter 3. Let's talk a little bit about this this book real quick. Um, is it just a good book to have on the shelf? Just just for for devotional reasons or or anything like that? It's just something you know. I feel like reading. Let's pull the old Bible down and read it. Um, and it's not just it's not just that. It's so much more than that. And, and we'll see that as we go through. Um, our stand here, and we, we've talked about, you know, we talked about the five things last week. There's a Bible that you can understand, or a Bible you can trust, right? There is a Bible that you can trust, and everything that it says is supposed to be there. Everything that's not supposed to be there isn't there. What we read on the page is exactly what God wants it to be. It doesn't matter what I think it is. It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks it is. It's what it is. Right, um, one of the phrases that I've hated for years and I've despised, and I use it more than than ever before, is "It is what it is." You know, COVID just kind of said, "It is what it is." Right, 
And you kind of think, man, I hate that phrase. But I use it a lot now because it is what it is. Now, <laughs> what's interesting is when it comes to this book, it is what it is. We can't add to it, subtract from it, change it in any way. Um, and, and it's interesting when you start thinking about things, the book that we have before us is not like any other book in, in the world. Um, you don't read it like a novel. You can. But if you study it, you know, you're not going to take um, Macbeth, and you're not going to take Macbeth and study it the way that you study the Bible. Right? You're going to read it through, and it's going to make sense that way. But if you take this and try to look back at this and this, it's not going to work the same way. All right? Now, there's some other things you could do with that. But, <clears throat> so, one of the things that we, we stand on here is it's the Word of God. The King James Bible that we have in front of us is God's Word for English-speaking people. Now, you've got to put that on the end because everybody else in the world says, well, what if I don't speak English? Well, get one in your language. There was a guy, there was a guy from Lithuania years ago. Um, he took King James Bible, translated it into his own language. He was in the United States for years. He and his wife ended up going back to Lithuania to set up a church and teach, and they printed out, uh, they had Shorewood up in Chicago print out their Lithuanian version of the Bible, and they took them all back to Lithuania, and they started churches and all that stuff. That's a really neat thing to be able to say. Now, they've got God's Word in their language. And that's an interesting, that, to me, that's kind of interesting. But for English-speaking people, this is the book. Uh, and hopefully we all we all agree on that. This this book that we have is the foundation of everything that we believe. I hope that that's a statement we could all say. Um, it's the source of all that we know about God. Um, and what it does is it sets apart Christianity from every other religion in the world. Um, Quran is not the same as that book that we have in front of us. And you can go through all the different things, all the different religious systems and the books that they have. Um, they're all different than this book. Um, and from that point, you know, and I'll be biased and I'll say that I'm biased at the very beginning. This is the book. And we're going to study this book and find out what this book says about itself. Because no other book in the world does what this book does. And we'll see this. Notice here in 2 Timothy chapter 3. We'll start here in verse 16. <clears throat> Alright. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. It says, all what? All scripture. Alright, so one of the things that I want us to be able to think about and know and understand is, what is it that we call scripture? It's the things that are written down, right? It's the writings, if you will. So when we talk about Scripture, we're talking about something particular. And I want you to notice something real quick, and we won't get into this too much yet, but look back up in verse 14. Of course, this is Paul writing to Timothy, who um, one, one of the things I'd like to be able to do is, uh, once we're done with the, the generations study, is I want to start going through 1 Timothy, because um, I want us to be able to see some things. We're over here in 2 Timothy chapter 
uh, 3. In 2 Timothy, Paul is writing to Timothy and kind of to remind him, you need to stick with the plan, right? Notice in verse 14, he says, But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. Well, who is it that he learned them from? Paul. And he's saying, I want you to continue in those things that you've learned and been assured of, uh, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. Notice in verse 15, And that from a child thou hast known the what? The The Holy Scriptures. Right? Now, we're going to be able to get into some things which is really interesting about this, but notice, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Now, one of the things you stop thinking about right there, when he's talking about salvation here, what is he talking about? One of the questions that we should always ask when we see the word salvation is salvation from what? Question, is Timothy saved? He's the pastor of the church, so I would, I would, I would hope that he would be, and he is. Right? So by the time Paul writes 2 Timothy, that's at the end of his life. Timothy was actually saved prior to... Um, I think it was right around Acts 13, right? Acts 14, he starts doing some work with him, and then he ends up being the pastor of the church at Ephesus. And Paul comes along here at the end of his life, right? So Acts 13 is where Paul starts. Acts 28, you've got some issues there. Paul's writing some things. 2 Timothy is the last book that he writes, and he says in the last book that he writes, so Timothy's been with him the entire time, so Timothy's been saved the entire time. So what we have to ask ourselves is, what is it that the Holy Scriptures are able to do is to make thee wise unto salvation? Well, salvation from what? Well, if you look back in verse 1, he says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, uh, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures, more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. And he goes on down through here, and he talks about Janus and Jambres, who had this form of godliness, but denied the power thereof. And then he goes down through verse 9 and says, But they shall proceed no further, for their folly shall be manifest unto all men, as theirs also was. When you look at verse, verse 13, notice, But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, being uh, deceived and being deceived. But then Paul says what? Continue in the things that you've learned, and you're going to have salvation from what? Being deceived. Right? So that's, that's one of those things we think about. <clears throat> as, as you're going down through there, it's interesting that list of stuff in the first, first, five, first five verses there. Uh, everybody looks at that and says, well, all that stuff's happening now. Um, can I tell you, those first five verses, that stuff's happened for ages. It's just we know a little bit more about it now. Because of social media and, and news and all that stuff, we're, we're, we know things quicker than we used to, this stuff's always taking place. You know, we, we talk about the fact that Paul was, ex, Paul was expecting the, 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 the rapture during his lifetime. But I want us to be able to think about this. 
What is it that the Holy Scriptures are able to do is to make you wise unto salvation through faith that is in Christ Jesus. Now, that's this issue right here. And of course, we'll talk about that here in just a little bit and then also some other things here. But notice, verse 16. All Scripture, how much Scripture? All Scripture. Is given by what? Inspiration. Inspiration. Now, We've kind of talked about this a little bit before. Inspiration, when we take a look at that word, inspiration has to do with the idea of breathing in to breathe out. All right? Inspir the in to take in to take in air. When when you talk, what is it that you do? You breathe in to be able to talk. Now, I want you to think about something real quick. We know that all Scripture is given by inspiration of who? God. All right, God. Now, when we look at this, it's not that inspiration here isn't... And I want to make this, this very clear at the very beginning. Inspiration here is not that men were so enamored with what God's done for them, they were inspired to write a book about Him. It's not like... It's not like you remember when you were younger and there was this girl that you liked or a guy that you liked? You're like, man, I, I want to be able to tell them what I think about them, so I want to write them a little letter. And you hand it to them. And then you're scared to death. And then you find out they didn't really care about it anyway. So, <clears throat> but, but you look at that stuff. That's not this. All right? There's something else that's taking place here that I want us to be able to think about. Um, let's get two passages real quick. Get Acts chapter 9. get Acts chapter 9, and then also go back and get Genesis chapter 2. So Acts chapter 9 and Genesis chapter 2. That's almost as far apart as you can get, right? So Acts chapter 9 and Genesis chapter 2. When, when, we, think about, when we think about this word, inspiration... Um, this is, these are the two things that I always think about uh, when it comes to inspiration. Now, we're going to put some definitions on things as we go through, but um, we'll see this as we go. All right. <clears throat> Acts chapter 9, verse 1. We're introduced to Saul of Tarsus here. Well, we're actually introduced to him in Acts chapter 7, but notice here in Acts chapter 9, verse 1, and Saul yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord went unto the high priest. So when Paul is, when Saul is breathing out threatenings and slaughter, what's he doing? He's saying some stuff, right? So when, when you talk, you take in air and you breathe and you speak out. That's breathing out. That's the same thing as what we see there of breathing out threatenings, right? But I want you to notice Genesis chapter 2. <clears throat> there's, there's something else that takes place here, and we're going to make some connections to some stuff as we go through this. And um, this, is, this, is, uh, this is something, what we're, what we're doing here is something that I've actually done already at school, uh, is going through all this stuff. And um, there's a lot of information, so I'm going to try and narrow it down as, as much as possible. But I want you to notice this. 
Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. This is, this is actually what we're dealing here with is the creation of man. We're told about it in, in Genesis chapter 1, but God tells us a little bit more about it here in, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. Notice, And the Lord God formed man out of the, out of the dust of the ground. Now, one thing that's really interesting real quick about that is, in my mind, I've always thought, when it says dust, he meant dust. Well, the interesting thing is the verse before that. Notice in verse 6, it says, But there went up a mist from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. So really what you've got here is the mud man, right? So it's, it's mud that God's using to form. Notice, And the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground. That's his body. And he what? Breathed life into his nostrils and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. That's the spirit. And man became a living soul. So right there at the very beginning in Genesis chapter 2, God tells us that man is a has a body, a spirit, whoops, spirit, and soul. Right. Paul tells us the exact same thing over in 1 Thessalonians. We find out that we are a spirit, we have a soul, and we live in a body. Right? Paul tells us about that. But I want you to notice something real quick. What did he do? He breathed life, and that was his what? Now, when we go back over here and we look at that word inspiration, in this inside this word you get that idea of the Spirit. So what God has done is He has taken His Spirit and placed it into those words. Really what He's done is it's life. Sanctify them by Thy Word. Thy Word is truth, right? Now, what we have to see and understand here is what God's doing is He's taking His, His life and He's placing His life in the words. Now, um, I mentioned this a few weeks ago. Go back over to 2 Timothy chapter 3. <clears throat> Oftentimes... People, people get, get the idea that the great battle between God and Satan is about power, and it's not. Um, God can create. Satan cannot. That's power. God's already got that. What we're, what we're wanting to look at is wisdom is the battle. All right, we're going to see some things as we go through there. But wisdom is where it's at. We'll see how, how Satan sets up a separate thing. But notice here in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 6, or 16. You remember a few weeks ago I mentioned, um, I put something up about the preservation and inspiration of scriptures, and a guy messaged me and said, well, I don't know if it's really a good idea to say that the words were inspired. And so we, we actually had a talk when we were in Chicago, and I don't know if I'm convinced him or not, but he's like, okay, I kind of see what you're saying. Because this is what's going on. His word is life and light. And we'll see that a little bit more as we go through. But I want you to notice here in verse 16, all Scripture is given by what? 
inspiration of God. So all what? Men who wrote Scripture? It's the Scripture. It's the writings. It's the words. Right? And we'll see this, why, why that's, that's going to be important as we go through. All right? All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. Right? We know why it's profitable. Because it's going to produce some stuff, right? Now, go back to Genesis chapter 3. And uh, we'll probably spend the last little bit here going, going through some things. <clears throat> Since wisdom is the real battle, not so much power, because like I said, Satan can't, can't create. Uh, in fact, none of the none of the little g gods can create God. Jehovah is the only one that can. Now, what I want us to notice here is why those why that why the words there are the issue. And so, what Satan's going to do is he's going to set up a competing wisdom. All right. So you're going to have God's wisdom, which is God's viewpoint. And then you're going to have man's wisdom or man's viewpoint, which follows after Satan. All right? So that's the issue that we're going to see here. Notice Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman. What's that very first word? Yay. You know what he's do you know what's gonna happen? First of all, we notice what's he do? Yea hath God said. What's he doing there? He's denying or he he what he's doing is he's questioning God's word, but he's doing it in the affirmative way. You notice that? It's not no, God's not said it, but yea, hath God said. Alright? So he's questioning God's word. Notice there, yea, hath God what? said not told somebody or or had somebody write down okay it's not the people it's the issue it's the words themselves what god actually said is the issue now take a look at this yea hath god said so the very first thing that we see in part of man's wisdom is they what one question god's word right very first thing. Are you sure that's what it says in the Bible? Yeah, I, okay. But is that what it says? Are you sure that's what it says? The question of what God actually said is the issue, which is why the words are the issue, not the people. And we'll see that as we go through. All right? Now, notice. Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. So let's think about let's think about what's going on. Go back to Genesis <clears throat> chapter one, and I want us to be able to see what's going on here. All right. This is this is probably the, the worst thing to do for Mother's Day is talk about Eve. But again, it's not Eve's fault, it's Adam's fault, right? So all the men are like, oh that. That turned quickly. <laughs> I was like, I was feeling pretty good about myself, but then, no. Uh, but I want us to notice, because who is it that God 
teaches in Genesis 1, who is it God speaks to in Genesis 1? All right, we, we, can get into, we can get into that sometime too. But notice, verse 26, we'll just start there. And God, and God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. Verse 28. And God blessed them and God said unto them. What? Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over it. The fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air. And uh, every uh, and, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb-bearing sea which is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree in the, in, in the which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed. To you it shall be for meat. And to every beast of the, uh, of the earth, and, every, and to every fowl of the air, and to every thing that creepeth upon the earth wherein there is life, I have given every green herb for meat, and it was so. And God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was very good, and the evening and the morning were the sixth day. All right, so well, that's one thing. Jump over to chapter 2, because I want us to be able to see something else. Because <clears throat> this is really going to be the issue. What is it that God gave them to do? Said what? Be fruitful, multiply, and um, everything that I've given you, your bearing seed, it's upon the face of the earth, and every tree, and all that stuff is for meat, for you to eat of, right? Notice, chapter 2. Verse uh, 15. And the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. Now, that's the, that's the issue that God tells to Adam, the man, puts him in the garden eastward in Eden and says, here's, here's what I want you to do. Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. Now, is there an assurity of death there? If you eat it, what's going to happen? You're going to die. Right? <clears throat> now, Back over to Genesis chapter 3. Let's take a look at what's going on. What's the very first thing that happens is Satan comes in and questions God's word. Now, what results from that is really still going on today. If somebody questions God's word, normally what happens is if we don't have all the information, then we're going to end up in the same boat that Eve is. And that's exactly what happens. Notice, yea, uh, yea hath God said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Um, can they can they eat of every tree? Every tree but one, right? So then, notice, and it, and it, it's interesting when we see that. But notice verse two. And the woman said unto the serpent, "We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden." All right, pause there for a second. Because of that questioning, what's the what's the very first thing that we notice? that Eve does, is she what? She leaves out that word freely. Right? Notice, 
we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. So right there, because of the question of God's word, what happens is there's subtraction from God's word. Namely, that word freely. Were they freely able to eat all trees except for one? Yeah. But what happens is because of the questioning that Satan brings up, she takes out that word freely and forgets that word freely. So what we see is the result of questioning is you lose something. Why did she lose that? Why did she lose that word freely? Adam, right? Communicate the doctrine properly. Well, it gets worse. Now, a lot of times what people do is they'll say, Satan subtracted from the word, but it wasn't Satan. She didn't take God's word, right? The words on the page, the words that she was told. She didn't take the words. She forgot one. Now, compounds. Verse 3. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it. Question. If you go back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 16 and 17, do we see anything about not touching it? You don't see anything. So what happens is, she what? She adds to God's word about what? Can't touch it. All right. All of a sudden, she became MC Hammer. Anybody get that joke? Nobody? Sorry. Right. I appreciate it. One of these days. All right. That was a bad joke. All right. So what she do? She adds to it by saying, neither shall we touch it. Right? Well, it gets even worse. The last thing there says what? Lest ye die. Did God say you might die? He said you're what? Surely going to die. So what she does there is waters it down. Well, here's how you water it down. You subtract from it, you add to it, and you watered it down. By the time you get here, it is not that. And that's that what we'll see is everything that we everything that we'll look at is subtracted from, added to, waters it down, and it's not the same as what it started off as. And the whole goal that Satan has is to take God's wisdom and corrupt it by man's wisdom or what Satan puts out. Now, the interesting thing is the very last thing that takes place here in verse 4. Notice, And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. So that's Satan. What's he do there? He just flat out denies what God said. Now, the interesting thing is, you look at verse verse 17 of chapter 2. What's he say at the end there? For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou what? Shalt surely die. What does Satan do with God's word is what? Ye shall not surely die. So what he's actually done is he's added to what God actually said 
and denies what God actually said. Right? So it's not just denying it, saying, well, that's not true, but he's actually denying the actual words that God spoke. Now, the interesting thing is, you go over to Matthew chapter 4, when Satan is, is dealing with Christ in, in, in that temptation, what does Satan do? Well, let's back up. What does Christ do? He answers with, Scripture says, it is written, it is written, it is written. What's interesting is, Satan does the exact same thing at one of those points. Go real quick over to Matthew chapter 4. Uh, we dealt with this a long time ago when we were going through Matthew chapter 4. But uh, <clears throat> something really interesting here is Satan actually employs this over here. Notice Matthew chapter 4. Um, verse 5. <clears throat> so this is the second of the three temptations. Verse 5. Then the devil taketh him up into the holy city and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple. And saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down. What's he say? For it is written. And what Satan's going to do is he's going to quote something. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and their hands they shall, not, they, they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou shalt dash thy foot against a stone. Now, if you go back and look at the verse that Satan is quoting, he adds to and subtracts from the actual words. Right there where it says, lest at any time, that's not in actually what God said. So what, I, what, what Satan does there is he adds to what God said, and, and said, lest at any time thou shalt dash thy foot against a stone. And then he subtracts from it, what? The part that says he's going to be destroyed. <laughs> Conveniently enough, he's done that. So what happens is Satan comes along and he quotes Scripture and he misquotes it. He adds something to it and he actually subtracts from it. And that's what's, that, to me, I find that extremely interesting. That he adds to, to kind of take away from that. And it's interesting, too, is because when you look at those three things that Satan's using to tempt Christ with, it's things that he knows that Christ will do in the future, and he's trying to get them to do it before the time is supposed to happen. And that's interesting because he brings up that lest at any time. Now, <clears throat> that's, that's, to me, I find that really inter interesting. But if you go back and, and read Psalm 91, you'll see that there. And he stops before he gets to verse 13, which verse 13 is talking about his own personal destruction. So he stops there. That's interesting. But that's, that's the main issue. So what, what Satan is doing is he's setting up this policy of evil against God and his word. All right, um, real quick, go over to uh, Romans. Romans chapter 1.
Notice in, in, in Romans chapter 1, uh, let's start off at verse 19. Because that which uh, may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Now, if you jump down, what we see here is you go down through here, verse, verse 21, because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened, professing themselves to be what? Wise. What they're doing is this wisdom is what they're going after and saying, well, we know more than you do. And what we're going to do is we're going to say that you don't even exist because in our wisdom you don't exist. And what they have to do is deny the thing that God put in them. Now, of course, you go back. This is, this is, this is Genesis 11 is what he's talking about here. But it's still going on today. And that's one of the things we've been dealing with about the generations. But notice, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Now, I want you to pause there for a second. What I find interesting about that is they changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into what? An image made like corruptible man. Does that kind of make you think of something? Maybe statues? <laughs> right? So what they're doing is they're saying, this is, you know, keep on going, into an image made like to corruptible man, into birds, into four-footed beasts. Isn't that what Israel did? They get out of Egypt and they go and make that golden calf and said, this is the God that brought us out. They've changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image like unto corruptible man. And here you had a four-footed beast. Um, <clears throat> is there anybody in the world that has a religion that, that worships men? All over the place. What about birds? Yeah, four-footed beasts? Yeah. And the interesting thing, it says, and creeping things. And the interesting thing is you're taking, you're taking God's glory and bringing it down and bringing it down, bringing it down, bringing it down until it's something that you can control. That's exactly what he's dealing with, what man's dealing with. I don't have to worship a man. I'm going to worship this thing, but I can control this thing because it's really small. Or I can control this four-footed beast because I can drag it along with a string and make it do what I want to do and make it go where I want it to go. But, verse... Verse, uh, jump over to verse 25. Notice, there's, there's things that men have done. God gave them up to do this. Verse 25, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the what? Creature. What, what man's wisdom, what Satan's whole thing is, is you're the, you're the main issue. What, what you really want to do is, I'm a, I'm going to change the truth of God into a lie. And that's exactly what he did here. And he created this lie. And that's man's wisdom. So what we see is they, they worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Um, real quick, we'll finish up here. Go over to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And we'll stop here for the day. Um, but I want us to be able to see 
see what's going on here. And, and we'll talk more about the words themselves. But here's, here's, how, here's how Satan's going to do it. Modern day Bible critics, they're right here. Are you sure that's what God said? Well, maybe we need to take this out. Maybe we need to add this thing. And what they've done is they've watered it down. And really what they're doing is they've denied what God actually said. And we see that here. Notice in 1 first, first Corinthians chapter 1, um, verse... We'll start off in verse 4. Notice. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. That your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Howbeit we speak wisdom. What do we speak? The words of God, right? We speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of the world that of this world that come to naught. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew, for that they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So there's a whole bunch of things that's going on there. But what God's doing is He's saying, I have a wisdom that is different than man's wisdom which actually came from this and really you have those two competing systems that's going on today this is the course of the world type stuff you know in ephesians chapter 2 and we'll talk about that a little bit then you've got god's wisdom now what's interesting is what does what is it that satan does with eve says Take this fruit, and I'll make you what? I'm going to make you gods, right? You're going to have you're going to have this wisdom. What God's doing is He's hiding something from you, and I know what it is, and I can tell you what it is, and you can be just like these gods out here and have control over nations and all that stuff. And that's exactly what they did. God said, "I want to set man up to have rule and reign and have dominion over the entire earth." And Satan comes along and says, well, God's holding something back and he doesn't want you to know something, but I'm going to tell you something that he's holding back and I can give you rule right now over this little area. Not the whole earth, but this little area. And man took it. Now, years ago, we did a, we did a, a message called the snake, the, the apple-bearing snake. And then we went through that and we, through the scriptures, we found out it was a grape-bearing calf which is really interesting. So that's a whole other thing. But you take a look at that. In Genesis chapter 3, there's some there's really interesting things that's taking place there. And what happens is, what, what Satan appeals to Eve on is lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Same thing that he tested Christ with was the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. She failed. Christ didn't. All right? And as we look at this, that's the issue is there's two sets of wisdom out there. And that's what Satan's doing, saying God's holding something back. You just don't know it yet. But I want to give it to you. You just follow me. And ever since then, it's been a mess. But it all starts off with those five things. And I want us to be able to use that. There's two things that I want us to remember as we work forward is... The words on the page are inspired, not the people. And we'll, we'll bear that out as we go through. And then how is it that policy of evil shows up 
really in everything. And it shows up in modern versions. And that's exactly what happens. Uh, and we'll see that as we go through. So, questions, comments, concerns.